I'm Keith Stewart, the Director of Fun at Springdale Golf Club in Princeton, New Jersey, and this is the True Philadelphia Podcast with Matt O'Donnell. Hey everyone, I'm Matt O'Donnell and thanks for joining us on the True Philadelphia Podcast. This is the Masters edition of the podcast. It's hard to believe that they're going to play the tournament down at Augusta National as the leaves are falling and changing, but at least they're playing it at all, right? Our guest, Keith Stewart, he is the head golf professional at Springdale Golf Club in Princeton, New Jersey. He is also a podcast host himself, the host of the Springdale Golf Live podcast. And we talk about how a golf professional manages to attain a skill set needed to become a podcast host. We also talked to him about Tiger Woods. Keith knows Tiger from his days when he was an assistant pro down in Florida years back. We talk about how the pandemic has changed the game of golf, how it may continue to evolve, and maybe a little bit later, Keith will take a look at my golf swing. It's all coming up on the True Philadelphia Podcast, Keith Stewart, Springdale Golf Club. Keith Stewart here on the beautiful grounds of Springdale Golf Club in Princeton, New Jersey. Why do, why do I feel so calm right now, by the way? I don't understand. Why you feel so calm? Well, you're with the director of fun, <laughs> and you're, you're going to have a Springdale day. And, you know, uh, a lot of people come to Springdale, and one of the things that they notice is that it's a very relaxing atmosphere. You know, the, the world kind of runs around us like a Hitchcock film. You know, it's, it's almost like it's spinning at times. And when you come here, my staff and I, and, and the whole team here at Springdale, we enjoy this, our mantra, our mindset, our philosophy is to have a Springdale day. And part of that is just to come here and have a good time and relax. Keith and I have a lot in common. We love golf and we're both podcasters. That's really what caused this whole thing to happen. We did a podcast with you on your show. We'll be talking about that in a little bit. Decided to do one for the True Philadelphia podcast and then maybe if we have time, we'll do a little golf afterwards. So we got to yeah. rush this a little bit. The first thing I'll have to ask you is, how's your year been going? Well, you know, COVID is, it, it provided a lot of challenges back in the spring, but honestly, we've had one of the greatest years ever in golf. And that's across the nation. Um, the National Golf Foundation will tell you that rounds are up all over the country for in July and August, imagine this, Matt, right? So you're a golfer, avid golfer. Sure. In July and August nationwide, for the first time in decades, there was a 2% increase in golf rounds played across the country in all 50 states, right? So everyone's out enjoying this game and doing the things and, and hopefully what we're gonna do in just a little bit, which is go out and hit the links for a little bit and have some fun. And it, it's been just such a phenomenal year here at the club, but nationwide with golf. Millions of more people are playing golf and, you know, as someone who's an ambassador for the game and, and trying to draw more people in, uh, really, I mean, this, this is going to sound kind of awkward to say, but COVID couldn't have hit at a better time, right, for the game. You know, golf as a game, is it's pandemic proof. You go outside, we're socially distanced. Um, most golfers aren't that good, so they hit the ball away from one another. And there's plenty of space. We don't have to go in an arena and we don't have to come into contact with one another in order to play. So it's, it's, it's really been just a, a phenomenal year for the game, for Springdale and, uh, and for me personally. 1997, Tiger Woods, first major championship, shocked the world by winning the Masters by a million strokes. And then you see the Tiger boom. 
you see more golf courses, you see purses for the PGA go up, more people are interested in playing, people are buying apparel, people are buying equipment, they want to hit the ball further, and then it sort of dies off after a while, along with maybe Tiger's play. And then you see the pandemic boom that you just mentioned. How are those two the same, different, and do you see this pandemic boom sustaining itself for the golf industry? Wow, that's that is that's a, <laughs> in in geez. three words or less. Yeah. Um, well, I'm glad we started with the soft ones. <laughs> no, uh, in, in all honesty, you know what? That I hadn't thought about that until right this instant. But uh, you bring up a good point. When Tiger hits a 97, we're not prepared for the immediate impact that he is going to put on the game. It, uh, as a PGA professional, I'll just speak for my association. Right? No one was ready for what was going to happen then because it had never happened before. And if it had, it happened multiple generations before that, maybe in the golden age of golf courses like the 20s and 30s, but it, it hadn't happened for the people that were alive to have that level of uh, you know, immediate interest in the game, the amount of rounds played, et cetera, et cetera. Now, we go, we have a dip with the 09 recession. Let's, let's just time it with that, okay? okay? Now we come back and we have this immediate impact again. We know so much more about the consumer in golf, you know, as PGA professionals or the other allied associations, the USGA, the LPGA, you know, all of these groups have now come together. You know, we're kind of looking up to our main man, Jay Monahan at the PGA sure. Tours. He kind of leads all of these groups together. And it, what we've learned is, you know, how to not only just, you know, bring that customer in, and charge them a daily fee, whether you'd be over at one of the public golf courses or they join a club. But now we know what to do through programming that all of these allied associations, but certainly the PGA of America does better than anybody. And we, you know, we've learned through our trials with things like um, you know, Get Golf Ready and some other programs that we ran in the 2000s that were kind of a reaction to what happened in 1997. Well, guess what? Right now as a PGA professional, we're putting the pro and proactive and what we're doing is that we're ready now for this immediate impact. We have the statistical data to say where people are and how we're going to take care of them. And you're going to see a lot of really cool things come out of this COVID situation for golf. And you just wait till 2021. The programs that we're going to run out nationwide are just going to be really cool. Really, so, really cool. So the answer is yes, this will sustain itself. Maybe not to this level of interest, but this boom will last. I, I think that if we're 20% more than where we were, that yes, 10% will stay for sure. So golf courses did a ton of things to prepare for people to return after the or initial, initial shutdowns with the pandemic and you know not having rakes and bunkers so people don't touch them, leaving the pins in, having a device where you can use your putter to pull the ball out, spacing people out, one person per carts, et cetera, et cetera. Do you see anything that you've changed here or that maybe public golf courses have changed that might be something to be like, you know, I don't understand why we didn't do that in the beginning and let's just keep doing it. Hopefully you know, not. I mean, you want you think people should be more together, I guess, once this is all, once the pandemic burns well, out. Well, I think people should do what they're comfortable with, honestly. Um, I've seen a lot of interesting trends this year. I think one of the things that's the most important is how we've taken a new approach to, I guess, the player-coach relationship. Um, one of the things that was most important to me when we came back, um, I, I don't need a rake to enjoy my round, 
right? But my members or golfers in general, they, they need some golf experts and it just can't all be digital. It can't all be on Instagram. So one of the things that you know, we spent a lot of time thinking about was that when we could go back to teaching people. And one of the trends is that I think we were a lot more thoughtful now about how we interact with people in close proximity when we're giving golf lessons. And I think that you know, that translated in from just the world in general where you know, we had to think more about wearing masks and washing our hands and doing those things. So um, you know, I think people will get back together in carts I think that there will be rakes again at some point. You know, um, caddies won't be wearing masks. I think at some point um, we will figure all this out. You know, kind of in a Darwinian way, we will evolve and, and figure this out. But one of the coolest things that I've noticed that is a change that I hope you know kind of continues to go forward to answer your question is that the, you know the intimate player-coach relationship, right? I think we're paying more attention to that now. Okay. And and I think that. Um, you know, in clinic situations and, and the way that we are connecting with the golfers is, is more impactful than it's ever been. Pat on the back time. Oh boy. <laughs> <laughs> you're not just any golf professional. I mean, you're, you're well known throughout New Jersey. Uh, last year you won the New Jersey Professional of the Year Award. Congratulations. Thank you. You yourself call yourself the director of fun. You never won that. That was just like self-anointed. Right? Yeah, yes. But, but, but yep. I love that because Everyone knows how frustrating golf can be and how people make it not fun the way that they play it. And you know, you're responsible for there are hundreds of people here to have fun with golf. How do you help people have more fun while playing this game? You know, actually, going back to your question before about the boom in 97 versus the boom now, one of the things that we know now is that the game should be more fun. So back in 97, everything was very strict. You know, I mean, you had to wear pleated pants and your shirt had to be two sizes too big, Matt, right? Okay, <laughs> if you look back at those videos. Nowadays, our clothes actually fit. No, all kidding inside. And I mean, I guess that's, that's my director of fun personality yeah. coming out. But I am so happy when I look across, you know, the board at all of my peers, men and women, the way that they are introducing fun into the game. And, and here's an example. This club is an institution in golf. We've been here for 125 years. I am their ninth golf professional. So um, imagine that. That's know, stability right yeah, there. Yeah, imagine that golfing tradition and how wonderful it is for the people that are here that you can see in the background that are out playing golf on this beautiful morning. And this past September, we, when we celebrated our anniversary, we had a huge member-member tournament. And the favor for that tournament was a Bluetooth speaker at a golf club in Princeton that's older than the country. Right, and Rodney a, Dangerfield hang, uh, handed them out, right? Yes, yeah, with a free bowl of soup, <laughs> yeah. for sure. Looks good on you, though. Yeah. <laughs> Why did it take so long to have that happen, by the way? But anyway, uh, go ahead. <laughs> you do drugs, Matt? <laughs> well, you should keep doing them. Yeah. Anyway, Danny. Um, <laughs> <laughs> like we can't go down that Keith, rabbit hole. Be the bald, Keith. Be the bald. So yes. uh, you gave out the Bluetooth So we, so we gave out the Bluetooth speakers, right? I mean. When would that have ever happened in golf? Sure. It wouldn't have happened in the 97 boom. So fast forward to the 2020 boom, people are having more fun, okay? And I, and I picked up this mantra. So yeah, I'm, I'm a legend in my own mind. I made up a name for, a title for myself. But for me, 10 years ago, at a place like this, it, they don't need a director of golf, right? They need someone that it was here to help people enjoy the game. The game is hard. It's really, really sure. hard. Yeah. And the more fun people are having out on the golf course, listening to music, um, having a couple of drinks, um, finding some form, fun format for them to play with their friends week in and week out, um, I think is, is really why we're gonna sustain the game. Is it because as a society, 
you know, as, as you get older, you kind of pay attention and you learn from the generations behind you. Mm -hmm. So I'm learning from the millennial generation and then my kids who are, you know, the next generation after that, the, you know, Generation Z or whatever you want to call it, um, they have way more fun doing things than that, say you and I would um, when we were their age as Generation Xers. And I, and I think that's really important. I think you're onto something there. When you have younger people come in and the older people and us, we, I guess we're in the middle, hopefully lower on the middle side, and maybe we're a little, little bit more stuffy than people like, but when the younger people come in, loosens us up, they show how you can do other things. It's sort of like the bat flip in the MLB. You used to get beaned by the pitcher the next time you're up at bat. Now, people kind of like to see it because they're having fun. Yeah, I, I mean, um, social media, the amount of different things that people do to celebrate, um, you know, as long as it's in good taste, I'm all for it, but golf is on the precipice of something great because leaders like myself choose to just step up and say, hey, we're going to have more fun. Golf can be more fun. You can still follow the rules. Yeah. I'm not saying you're not going to follow the rules, but my members have a great time playing golf here, and there's nothing that makes me more proud than that. Still no pots and pans banging them in people's backswings. No, just can't I'll, do that. I'll leave that to Tiger's dad. What fascinates me about you, Keith, is that I'm always fascinated by people who do more than one thing and they do it really well. Obviously, you got the golf thing figured out, but at the same time, you're a podcaster and you've had great success doing that. And obviously, a lot of fun helps grow the game, helps advertise Springdale Golf Club as well. When did you start podcasting and why did you get into it? Well, real quick Reader's Digest version. Um, about five or six years ago, I kind of came up with a why statement, you know, and, and I guess, you know, the whole cynic thing had hit YouTube and it was like everyone, it was like this cliche thing to do to figure out like, you know, what kind of gets you up and, and, you know, spins your yarn in the morning. And uh, my why statement was, you know, I, I just wanted to change the way people see the game. And I felt like that was something that I could do with my voice. Um, anyone that knows me knows I love to talk. And <laughs> so you, you have a good voice. I mean, immediately when, when you started speaking, I'd never met you before the podcast. Like, this guy's got a pretty good voice. So I started to introduce myself to some friends who um, had, you know, medium with which to tell a story. Not my story, but the story of golf in just a different light. And it was always kind of coming down like, you know, don't touch the flagstick or, you know, um, you, you need to finish in four hours. And, and you, you know, all of these, you know, kind of restrictions were in place. Right. And we've seen how the world loves restrictions just this year alone. So, you know, I, I constantly get on there and, you know, disruptions a very kind of, uh, um, you know, uh, trendy word right now. So I kind of, you know, get on there as the director of fun. And, you know, I play this, uh, it's not really an alter ego because I act the same way here. Um, <laughs> I've already seen that. Yeah, so uh, at the end of the day, it, I get on and, and every Friday afternoon, I host a live radio show on ESPN Radio. And we have a great time. And I bring on guests like you who are certainly not your normal. You know, I, I'm just not looking for a USGA rules official or, you know, your standard tour pro. I, I want to talk to different people in the pop culture of sports. And there certainly is a golf bias because I'm a PGA pro. And, and, and that's why I do it. Now, fast forward, I've had my own show on ESP, ESPN Radio for over two years, and it continues to grow. I've got wonderful sponsors like the New Jersey Golf Foundation, TaylorMade. I mean, this is a real thing. And people, week in and week out, um, I take the show, and then you know it becomes a podcast, and I put it out there for the world to listen. And, and you know, I, I can't remember the last time there weren't a dozen people, 20 people on a daily basis that listened to the show all over the world. 
So somebody likes the message. They like the director of fun, and, and it makes me happy to, you know, continue to be creative and, and find new and interesting ways to engage that audience and, and, you know, satiate my why statement. Maybe the thing to take out of this for people who are not even in golf, but let's say, I mean, there's so many people who are out of work and they're like, I need to kind of reinvent myself right now to get back into the workforce. And what you did was you took another skill you had. You love to talk. You have a really, really good radio voice and uh, you went with it. Maybe that's what people need to search for sometimes, something that they're not using that's in their toolbox that they can use for something else. Well, it's funny. Um, you talked about the awards. And um, you know, one of the things, um, being th kind of thrust into the limelight and being recognized by my peers, is that from time to time, um, I end up in a, in a mentor situation. And one of the things that I think I've learned through that process, and you just brought it up, is that as people are coming out of this, and if there's a transition in their life, I think it's really important that sometimes we forget ourselves. We forget to take care of ourselves. And as human beings, I, I think we're almost like innately just driven to help others or to go and, 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 and look at away from ourselves and not look in the mirror. And you know, someone that's been in the service industry since I was a bag rat, I'm a touching golf and country club when I was like 14 years old and a caddy, um, I, you know, I've been in this service entertainment business. We call it the entertainment business because, you know, like Disney puts a cool word on that and then you don't feel like when you're, you're cleaning clubs that, you know, it's kind of a glamorous lifestyle <laughs> to tell your parents about. But you, you, you get out there and you do something for yourself instead. So my recommendation would be, and if there's one thing I've learned and how I got to this, this point is that on a weekly basis, do something for yourself. Try to grow for yourself. You don't have to come up with this magnanimous why statement or whatever. I mean, that just kind of hit me. And all of these things have kind of built on top of one another, like I'm climbing some ladder of life, you know, rung by rung. But when it comes right down to it, I think that when people ask me to be a mentor and, and I learn from those mentees, I try to impress upon them, hey, if you're in an industry where you've been completely focused on everyone else, maybe it's time to spend a little time you know, looking internally and say, what can I do one thing this week? Now, for you, Matt, it could be, you know, reach out to an old colleague just to reconnect. It could be take a golf lesson uh, because your bunker play has been less than stellar. I mean, it could be anything, but you know, the world is tough. The game is tough. You know, treat yourself. Well, that would be my message. Yeah. Do you, if I asked you to text Tiger Woods right now, would you be able to? Do you have his phone number? <laughs> Are you allowed to say that? Um, you have it, don't you? I, uh, I, no comment. <laughs> no comment. Well, I mean, th I'm leading into this, obviously. You, know, you have a relationship with Tiger Woods. You were the assistant pro at Islesworth Country Club in Florida during the years of 1998 to 2003. Tiger Woods was down there at the time. And I'm, I'm sure you have a ton of stories. I, I want to lead into you telling whatever favorite one you have. But I want to tell you that you gave the, the best analogy I've ever heard of how good Tiger Woods is. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And maybe you know what it is. You told someone in, in a news article years back, Tiger Woods is better at golf than I am at breathing. Uh, it, well, you know, um, I, when I moved on from Isleworth in 03, uh, I went to this wonderful club up in Rhode Island called Warwick Country Club. And people would ask me all the time about Tiger and getting to know Tiger. And then, you know, generally speaking, he would still win a tournament and he would be on on Sunday. 
and he, <laughs> they would say, you know, how good is he? Because he would win by 10 or something, or he'd win his fifth one in a row. And, you know, my initial reaction the first time ever was to think that, like, what is the simplest thing in the world that I have to do in order to live, right? And this has kind of popped into my head, and, and a lot of things, as you could tell by this interview, a lot of things pop into my head all the time. Um, <laughs> hopefully they're all good, but um, it, I just said, you know, Tiger Woods is better at golf than I am at breathing. And the person replied back, they're like, you know, Keith, breathing's pretty important. And I was like, no, I get it. I, I mean, I hope you get what I'm saying. I got and, it. And, you know, I, I got to see it live. I got to play with Tiger. He's, he's, he is, there's no bigger Tiger fan than me and than everyone else that loves Tiger for the man that I knew from, you know, 1998 to 2003, um, the hard work and the discipline that he showed all the time. He was so good to the staff. See, Tiger's two years younger than me. And it wasn't like he was going to have a, a ton of friends. And the whole golf staff there was all about my age. Mm -hmm. So we were all friends. We were the only people he could talk to, whether it was, you know, an NCAA bracket. I mean, who, who is he going to do that with? Phil? You know, I mean, Roger Malpe, I mean, who's he, who's he doing this with, right? So, you know, we all, you know, developed a camaraderie and we all learned from one another. And I mean, there's, there's, there's a zillion Tiger stories. Um, you know, he was a huge influence on my life at that time. And, you know, I certainly wanted to play for a living and like, like so many people do in their 20s when, you know, they come out and they say, oh, you know, I can do this. And you, you find out very quickly at a place like Isleworth where they had nine touring professionals, you know, you have a guy like Marco Mira who could have been my dad at the time winning the Masters. And I go out and play with him and you can see how good he could play. Forget Tiger. I mean, forget Tiger. They're and all good. They're, they're, I mean, I mean it, honestly, super good. I mean, I, I, people have a tough time. You know, golf gets very... Um, you know, kind of situational, big fish, small pond. You're like, oh, our club champ's really good. Folks, let me tell you what Throw good them is. Out there, yeah, man. yeah, let me tell you what, what really good is. And, you know, there's any number of stories where, you know, Tiger, you know, we would get into bets with him and we would have all sorts of fun. Um, and we would go back and forth all the time. And, you know, I, I think that one of the most pure things about golf and why we go back to why it will sustain if we concentrate on the fun was that we would bring the fun in him out all the time. And I think, you know, one of the, golly, there's so many. Um, I'm trying to think of a, a really good um, one that everyone can learn. Let, well, let me, I mean, a couple observations with Tiger. Uh, for one, you talk about trying to let him have fun. The shell that he had to build around himself from the, from being in his single digits of age sure. had to have been enormous because everything he, he, every bad round he had, he had to give an hour news conference. A lot of the pro, the guys on the tour, they just can, can walk back to their car. No one wants to talk to him. Tiger Woods had to talk to every single reporter at every single tournament, whether he did well or he didn't. So that's tough. The other thing is, I mean, it, there's diligence, there's hard work, there's dedication, but there's also immense sacrifice. Sure. He, he gave up a lot of his life to do what he did. And I'm not gonna bring up anything other than that. Just to, I, I think people need to appreciate that and, and how you can't be a perfect human being, at, no matter who you are, but you get to see what type of person everyone is when they get on that stage. And it's very easy for people to criticize. Certainly one of the greatest athletes of our time and certainly one of the, an argument for the greatest golfer of all time, you know, but 
I'll simply end by saying, you know, this on, on that subject is that a grip on your clubs like a grip on your world, right? And as the 2000s kind of carried on and you get into 08, 09, and 10, right? Obviously, um, as his play declined, right? Maybe a grip on his world was in some state of flux, sure. you know? And I, I'll always be a, a, a diehard Tiger fan. Um, nothing makes me happier than when he came back and he won again. Oh, Right, because there were so many people. You know, if you go and you, you go in my office, and, and you've been in there sure. now because you're here at Springdale. But, but what sits behind my desk is the Tiger Slam. All four flags signed. You know, Pebble 2000. You know, St Andrews 2000. Bob May Valhalla 2000, and then the 2001 Masters. All signed. Picture of Tiger and I. And and I sit in front of that every day, and it and it stayed there every single year, because I believe he was tremendous for the game. And it goes back to in 1997, we didn't know how to deal with all of that, right? And we're learning as we go, just as we, we're presently learning as we go. And I was a fan then, I was a fan during, and you know, I couldn't be a bigger fan now. Hey, think about it, as crazy a year as it's been, is there anything crazier that in 20 days, oh. your defending champion oh. at the 2020 Masters in November is none other than Tiger Woods? I mean, I don't know, it's funny how many times people had to be reminded don't doubt Tiger Woods. Don't doubt Tiger Woods. The way I see it now, obviously, is a lot of physical problems. The back goes out when it's cold. Mm -hmm. he, he has trouble getting around the golf course. Maybe he should just only play the Masters, <laughs> and then he get to Nicholas's record of 18 majors. Uh, I mean, I'm being honest. Like, oh, what do you think? Oh, there's horses for courses. There's no doubt. I mean, that's been proven throughout the test of time. So for him, Torrey Pines or Firestone or the Memorial, of course, um, the Masters is certainly one. He, he, even in those years where he didn't play the whole spring, he would T4. So, I mean, there's certainly, um, well, there's no rough, okay? So now at, this, at, at him being older and injured, right, he doesn't have to hit out of the rough that he did at, let's say, TPC Harding Park, all right? That's a problem, sure. right? You go to a place like and Beth Page. Cold. Yeah, sure, another problem. So. You know, um, I think back to, you know, one of those uh, rainy weekends at Riviera like two years ago where, you know, he came off the golf course at 7 o'clock at night. He had to answer an hour of questions. And then he said, yeah, I'm going to wake up at like 3.30 because I have to stretch out because I got to go play 27 holes tomorrow. Um, so enjoy it while you can, folks. You know, I mean, it's not going to last forever. I think the coolest thing about Tiger and even Phil at this point is that going back to my point about learning from younger people. I mean, these guys are are actually having fun and they're poking a little fun at themselves. Um, they're putting themselves out there. I mean, the rapport between Charles Barkley and all of those guys at a time where we hadn't had professional sports in weeks. And it the best awesome. thing that we could hope for was a documentary on it Sunday night, you know, which was, which was great. But I mean, to have the live storytelling that, you know, that drama unfold that you don't know what's going to happen. I mean, it wasn't Rocky. You know, you know what's going to happen at the end of Rocky, but to have that back and have that rapport and have those guys embrace that situation says a lot about where we're going to go and, and how, we're, how golf is in such a great place. I think he'll get to 18 majors and maybe 19, and if he doesn't, I'm, I'm proven wrong. But I, I don't doubt this man anymore. I 100% agree. 100% agree. During your podcast that I appeared on, or not appear, but listen, we spoke. whatever. We spoke. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Thank yes. you very much. Yeah. It's good to have another broadcaster around just in case I, 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 I lose, lose words. Wait, wait, hang on. Time out, folks. <laughs> uh, hey, disclaimer. Ready? Okay. 
This is a real no, broadcaster. No, no, no. He's, he's good. I, I'm just. You got to listen to him. Uh, so Bryson DeChambeau, I told okay. you, I think it's good for the game because people are simply talking about it. Yeah. Other people have felt like it's it's not good. Like, what do you think about him bombing drives literally 340 yards in the air? I, I, I mean, aren't we all descendants of Darwin? You know, I mean, don't things evolve, Matt? At the end of the day, I mean, let's let's just have like a fun conversation about this topic, okay? Would you still want to play with hickory shafts no. and a gutta percha ball? <laughs> I mean, would anyone be playing golf still if things didn't evolve in the game? Uh, and, and, and throughout the test of time, there's always been some sort of, you know, polarizing magnet that's led the way. And, and has that person always been the one that, you know, has sustained the level that Bryson is at right now of winning and so on and so forth? Um, could his, you know, does his delivery in my mind personally have, have a bit to be desired? Sure. But again, and you brought it up before, <laughs> people don't know what it's like when you have a bad day and someone sits you down for half an hour and says, Matt, tell me how bad your day really was. Right? I mean, it's, that is a really hard thing to do. Yes. I mean, we're going to sit here and go back and forth and have like a fun Q&A like we would do week in and week out, you know, on ESPN radio you know, when we're doing Springdale Golf Live. I mean, the pro show, it, it, it's, I have people on there, we tell the greatest stories, we play rock and roll music, you know, we had a great intro for you. It, Bryson and what he is doing, sure, some people don't agree with it, but it's good for golf. It's part of the fun aspect. And it, if you don't believe it, right, he's caught the attention of the best players in the world. And you see it all over social media right now. Um, DJ and Rory commenting on it, but then behind the scenes, they're trying to hit it further. Tony Finau saying, I could swing harder. He's not the one, I could swing harder. Well, that's kind of cool. Don't you want to see athletes compete at the highest level? Isn't that what Tiger did in 97? He just said, you know, he probably shouldn't have came out and said, well, you know, I won this week with my B game, you know, which kind of <laughs> irked a little people, a couple of people on tour, like, hey, God, you know, we're pretty good, you know. Um, but, you know, how about the famous Curtis Strange clip they show all the time? Hey kid, you know, out on tour, second or third's pretty good, you know? And then Tiger says, you know what? Second sucks and third's even worse, right? And Curtis Strange says, he goes, you know, you'll learn kid, you'll learn. You know what? At that time, people were like, ah, Tiger's disrespectful to this and that. And right now, he doesn't move the needle, he is the needle. So I don't know that Bryson will get to that level of success, but I, I'm in lockstep with you. I love it, I think it's great for the game. I think it, it causes us all to be more creative on how we set up golf courses and, and, and make it more fun. And the equipment needs to head in that direction because the game's hard. You know, everyone that's walking by us here today, they need that equipment. They need the ball. It's good. So when you play in the NFL, you pay a price. Later on in life, you really, really hurt. Sure. Do you think the way that Bryson has built himself up and the impact it may have, you know, maybe a couple years down the road or maybe a decade or so might also incorporate golf in a place where you have to pay a price to play the game? Uh, he, he will definitely pay a price, you know, because he's the beta test for all of this. So th there will be pros and cons to what he has done. And uh, there were pros and cons to what Tiger did. I mean, when I was there for five years, he had four knee surgeries. So his left knee just couldn't hold up to the way he was swinging the golf club. And, you know, having seen him work with Butch, I mean, they were fully aware of what they were doing and the level with which it could take his game but yeah, there was a price to pay. And, and look, at, look at all of those swingers. I mean, the only one I can think of that really hasn't, that hasn't come out that has had an injury bug has been Rory. 
But if you look at DJs had injury issues, Brooks, um, you know, guys with their wrists, um, those joints can only sustain so much of that torque. It's like being a pitcher. Yes. Your body is not meant to throw yeah. a baseball 100 miles an hour. Uh, I, I don't think so, no. No, not. I mean, I think it's proven all the time, you know. Um, being here in the New York area, I think the Mets prove it, you know, like once a month. You know? So, so you've, you've taught, I don't know, hundreds of golfers in your career, maybe more, and you see what people do that makes it harder for themselves to play the game. What, what can you throw out there like a little nugget that anyone can kind of use that, that helps to improve their game. And, and practice is obviously the easy one and, and actually the hardest one too. It's the easiest sure. one to say, it's the hardest one to do. What do you think? Um, at the risk of being almost answering that question in too simplified a form, I'm gonna say the first step is you should take a lesson and not take a lesson online, but you should go out and you should spend some time and invest in a lesson with a PGA professional. And the reason being that I start there is that you realize that only 11% of people take lessons in golf. Hmm. Now, your reaction to that is everyone's reaction who has played the game as much as you have, which is that's a really low number. Yes, and you yes. would think because when you go to your club and play or you go play somewhere else or if you, you know, you're looking over my shoulder at my practice range, you, you know, there's been someone teaching there this morning since 8 a.m. You see people practicing and doing those things. But in the whole golfing you know, kind of ecosystem, 11% of people take lessons. So if you really want to get better at golf, you need to develop a player-coach relationship. I mean, it really starts there. And then when you start to develop that relationship with that person, and it, the first one may not click. Um, you know, you might be a man that wants to go see a woman instructor. You might be a woman that wants to go see a man instructor, a woman to a woman. It, I mean, I, I say test things out. There's all these opportunities, especially in our area here, you know, Princeton sits halfway between, you know, two of the biggest markets for golf, you know, with the finest golf facilities and professionals in the country between Philadelphia and New York. Get out and take a lesson, take a live physical lesson. Develop a player coach relationship. They will point out things that will be so obvious it'll seem like post-its, okay? It's like, why didn't I think of that, all right? And if you do that, they will give you a practice routine. They may give you a fitness routine. You could take it to the nth level, but just the idea that you're gonna read a magazine or go on YouTube or just watch it on TV, that'll give you an appreciation. But how do you process all that, Matt, all right? So, sure, maybe this sounds like a PSA, but the best answer to your question is for us as a golfing community, is to, to further build our ecosystem is to get that number from 11% to 20%. And out of, out of this, this COVID um, immediate impact of all the, you know, the people, the 10 million people that the National Golf Foundation tells us that came, that were extra, that played the game in the month of August nationwide, right? Let's get that number from 11% to 20%, all right? It's good for my side of the game. It's great for your side of the game. We learn from one another as player and coach and it's just a tremendous opportunity. Now, if I don't go on at length about that, just practice your short game. It's 40% of your shots. When I, when I finally listened to someone telling me that, that was when I started the score. Yeah. Short I, game. It's it, fun to hit it long. It's it, hard to practice a short game. But once you, here's the thing that, that made me go, whoa. When you're on, on the short game area, that's when you can be creative. 
you can hit driver. You're not gonna be creative with it. You can maybe hit it a slice or a, a draw or whatever, or you know, hit it low. But you you don't have. There's millions of shots around the green that you can learn. Yeah, I, um, one of the reasons, you know, it was such, uh, it was so much fun for me personally to have you on the show and to speak with you is that it was going to get my creative juices flowing. I knew that having someone who knew how to speak, knew how to answer questions on my show um, versus maybe just um, a regional club pro who was going to tell me their life story. But, you know, you were going to do exactly what you're doing right now, which was make me think. And I, and I love to do that. I love a good puzzle. I can remember growing up, my dad would always have puzzles on the dining room table. And for some reason that, you know, nature nurture, there was an imprinting there. And I love a good puzzle, right? Here's the thing with short game, right? <laughs> if you want to take five strokes off your game, right? Are you going to do it with the driver? You play 18 holes, okay, here at Springdale today, we have four par threes. So you're going to play 18 holes. There's 14 tee shots. How many drivers are you going to hit? 14. Right? You're going to hit 14 tee shots. You can't remove those. But if you putt 35 times because our greens are challenging, <laughs> and then you come back next week and you putt 30 times, or you chip and that leads to longer putts to try to get up and down, then that's the only way you can affect your game. It's simple math. Right? So for everyone that's out there, please, you know, take a lesson and ask about the short game. See how you can improve. But the creativity aspect of it, right? It makes perfect sense to me because you're a creative person in everything that you do, right? You ooze creativity, and that's cool, and that's why people love you, and that's why people wake up at some ungodly hour and they tune into you because they love your storytelling, right? So that's why stuff like that. If you're a creative person, take a short game lesson. Imagine what you can learn about the game, right? I just read out of a box. <laughs> <laughs> one, thing, one thing real quick to endorse going to a person to teach you the game, going to a golf teacher, I was a hacker, 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 tried to go to driving ranges and try to work on my swing, hacker, 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 and then I started going to a teacher, and not just like once every like five years, but yeah, once a year, that's when I went from hacker to someone who can sort of score and, and steer the, go the golf ball around the golf course, so totally agree, totally agree. 11%, let's get it to 20, folks. What is your favorite club? Putter. Keith Stewart. Is it? Yeah. Pull it out. See, I, I still love my driver. All right. <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a Holy Cross alum, so, you know. Yeah, you were the, a lacrosse player there. I was, yes. Not a uh, golf um, guy. Not, not a Division One golfer. Um, I was a uh, uh, Division One lacrosse player for four years there. Letterman, um, fantastic opportunity uh, to go. And uh, I'm a local kid in New Jersey. Went mm -hmm. to St. Joe's in Metuchen. Played lacrosse there, um, you know, all boys school. So, you know, you played a cool game like lacrosse so you could meet a girlfriend and, you know, those types of things, um, you know, when you're 17. And, uh, but uh, go up to Holy Cross, get done. Um, and like I, I mentioned earlier, um, you know, I spent time um, when I was a kid growing up in North Edison, Menlo Park, um, that um, a touching golf and country club was right there and, and it was a job and uh, I was just always around the game. But there's, this is pre-Tiger Woods sure. for you and I. So yeah. we don't have that initial boom. And, um, you know, we're very fortunate, you and I, that golf has become so cool. And, why, uh, why, why, did you, why do you have this relationship with your putter when you immediately say, this is my favorite club? Um, well, in many ways, it's like Excalibur. You know, like um, it, I, I think of all the clubs in the bag, 
the, the technology um, plays a big role. So you're always gonna kind of evolve your bag, whether it's the driver yeah, like or- for instance, drivers, you cannot miss them anymore. Well, <laughs> not only that, but even that, even five years ago, that driver, right, is gonna go further than the one you had before. Sure. Um, so, but with, with putting, um, you know, you can uh, somewhat develop a personal attachment to something. So, you know, I mentioned the name Excalibur, it's because like when this putter was bestowed upon me, it was like, you know, I had the ability to pull it out of the, out of the stone. Sure. And um, it was a gift to me. So I was out, at, um, you can read it. Okay. Titleist John Cook. All right, so uh, Mr. Cook was a member at Isleworth. Uh, John Cook, everybody knows him, blonde hair, California kid, USAM champ, um, PGA Tour, very successful player. He's on the Golf Channel now. So I, I played a lot of golf with Mr. Cook, and one day I'm out playing and I'm not putting very well. And he says, you know, well, what's wrong? And I said, you know, it's just this putter, I don't know, something about it. He says, and we were on a hole that was about a block and a half from his house. He said, let's go over to my garage. So we go over to his garage and he's got a garbage can, like your usual garbage can at your house. And it's got an endless amount of putters in it. Now, I mean, here's a professional golfer. So of course, you know, he's been, sure. you know, here's a putter and, and you know, yeah. on to the next one. So he says, why don't you pick a couple out and you know test them out and he goes you know and then you can use it right and i said all right fine so i picked out three that looked just like this that had the scoop back and um, it was just something that caught my eye um, there's no lines on my putter um, that's important some people like lines some people don't um, if you can't guess by now you know i'm I, i'm not a line person you're a feel you know yeah. well yeah i mean I, I i took the road less taken matt and in the end that's made all the difference right so um Staying on that line, you know, probably doesn't suit my personality, um, the way I see things. So I get this putter, I start using it, and I love it, right? And I take the other two, and I go and I give them back to him. And, and he's like, Keith, he goes, did you see the garbage can? He goes, you can keep all of them. He goes, <laughs> I like, yeah. and I go, well, this one kind of spoke to me. And he goes, why? And we talked about it for a little bit, and we had like a little bit of like a kismet moment. And, and he said, you know what? He said, keep it right and use that right and that was in 1999 and uh, a really funny story about that oh, golly like seven or eight years ago I get invited to go down and play in the Pine Valley pro member one of the members here is a member down there and I'm playing in that event and I'm in the staging area and who do I bump into but John Cook and Cookie goes he's like Keith Stewart and I'm like hey Mr. Cook how you doing and he's like He's like, hey, how you doing, right? And I said, I'm doing great, you know, a little bit of small talk, where are you now, what are you doing, blah, blah, blah. And I have my bag right next to me. So of course, you know, I pull it out, I throw the head cover off and I'm like, hey, you remember this? <laughs> and he looks at that. And he said, you know, I'm glad it meant so much to you. And I said, you know what, Mr. Cook, it really did. So is this the best putter in the world? I don't know, Matt, but it's certainly the best putter for me. On that note, I think we need to play some golf. Hey, man, that's what we're here for. You know? <laughs> you're going to analyze my swing, too, if you don't mind. Uh, and you're going to do the commentary on the, the course. The just, entire just one swing. The entire time. But not, not all the swings. Yeah. Hopefully, they're going to be less than 90, 80. I mean, I'd like to be in the 70s, but I don't know. You're going to be in the 70s today. You think so? Yes. Okay. I've gotten a, I got a scouting report from a former assistant of mine here, Darren Bolton, who you know very oh, well now. Yes, yes. And, uh, Big shout out to, to, to Debo and uh, you know, I, I know what to look for and we're gonna steer you right around here and make sure you have a Springdale day. Could you be my mental coach too? You're a very positive person on my game. I, I tell you. <laughs> I, mean, I, haven't, I haven't hit a shot yet. The, the um, yeah, yeah. Keith Stewart, Director of Fun, Springdale Golf Club in Princeton, New Jersey. 
and the John Cook putter on the True Philadelphia podcast. Thanks, Keith. Appreciate it. Stay sunny, Philadelphia. <laughs> you know, it's my home course, so I figure I might as well have some fun with the driver today. The fans really were hoping for that, so. You know, it's all about the fans, you know. Nice line. <laughs> now on the tee, playing out of desperation, Matt O'Donnell. Smooth swinger. I look for a nice little straight shot here. Probably uh, about a two yard cut. This hole fits his eye. Athletic stance, looks really strong. Awesome rip at it right there. Thanks to Keith Stewart for his time. Thanks for putting up with me for 18 holes of golf. Long live Keith Stewart. Long live Springdale Golf Club. Long live the game of golf. Thanks for listening or watching. Please subscribe if you haven't done so. I'm Matt O'Donnell. Stay true, Philadelphia. Well, I'm glad you enjoyed our magic.